Thank you, Sierra. Wow, I am uh, I'm beyond honored and humbled to speak to you this morning. Uh, Skyler said it. Uh, I am indeed from the south side of Chicago, so if I sound... So if I sound, come on, there we go. So if I sound a little bit funny, that's why. It's just who I am, it's just where I'm from. And I know there's been a little debate in the news lately with the 75 greatest players of all time in NBA history. There is no debate. MJ is the greatest basketball player. (laughs) Write it down, Micah, it's okay. I know you're a LeBron guy. It's okay, it's okay. No, 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 let me, let me tell you why I am saying what I am saying right now. Because I lived near the United Center in Chicago Stadium. I watched this man play with my own eyes. And I have seen LeBron play as well. And I am telling you, I appreciate your opinion if you think LeBron is better than Michael, but a man with an experience is never at the mercy of a man with an opinion. And, and, and because of this, let me just go ahead and walk right into my message today. How many of you are walking in experiences with Jesus Christ instead of just trying to acquire knowledge? Students, it is absolutely essential that you know the difference between knowledge and experience. Because if you have a knowledge of God, you are acquiring information about God. But if you are walking in experiences with God, you are gaining confirmation. And today I just believe from the very bottom of my heart that we need to understand the difference. Because listen, Mr. Bible Theology Major, listen to me, Miss business major who is at an institution of higher education, I appreciate your acquisition of knowledge. It is essential. I want you to be gospel grounded. I want you to be theologically accurate. And I want you so desperately to be biblically literate. But if you are acquiring a knowledge of God and you are not walking in experiences with Him, then I am sorry, your faith will not be sustainable. I've just been doing this for too long. Today, I want to take a look at the book of Job. And today, we are going to take a look at Job's response to God when things get flipped upside down. And then we are going to take a look at Job's response to God after he actually experiences Him for the first time in his life. I think a lot of us put a lot of stock in Job's first response to God found in chapter 1. But did you ever read Job's second response to God in chapter 42? It says so much. And I'm going to try and honor the time as much as possible today, but I want to dig deep into this scripture. I need you to walk away understanding the importance of walking in a knowledge of God that is supported with experiences in His presence. You cannot be a people of the power of God unless you are walking in the presence of God. Job chapter 1, 1 through 5. Oh God, would you just be with us this morning? I think some of us are living under the illusion that if we just acquire more knowledge, it will be enough to sustain our faith. I have seen very knowledgeable people walk away from the faith because they are not walking in experiences with you. 
God, we need to be desperate for your presence in this place this morning. So God, would you speak through me and would you land in the hearts of these students? Holy Spirit, do a new work. In your name we pray. Amen. Job chapter 1, there once was a man named Job and he lived in the land of Uz. He was blameless, Uz, Uz, wherever you're from, say it how you want. He was blameless. Blameless is horizontal, sinless is vertical. Job was not sinless, he was blameless. And what it meant is that he had a high reputation. He would be able to walk down the street and people would be like, there's Job. That's a guy who is honorable and who walks in integrity. He was highly respected by the people around him. Job was blameless. He was a man of complete integrity. He feared God and he stayed away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, and 500 teams of oxen and 500 female donkeys. He also had many servants. He was, in fact, the richest person in that entire area. Incredible amounts of wealth. The average middle-class individual back in that day would have one ox. Job had 500 teams of oxen. Today we stack money to the sky. Back then they stacked oxen to the (laughs) sky. That's awkward and dumb. I'm sorry. Job's sons, stop, would take turns preparing feasts in their homes. And they would also invite their three sisters to celebrate with them, a strong family unit. When these celebrations ended, sometimes after several days, Job would purify his children. He would get up early in the morning and he would offer a burnt offering for each of them, which means that Job had an understanding, he had acquired a knowledge of a Mosaic law. He understood This was an acquisition of knowledge that Job had. He knew to offer a burnt offering for his children. For Job said to himself, perhaps my children have sinned and have cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular practice. Okay, okay. So we know what happens next. Satan, the accuser, is going to approach God and he's going to say, of course Job walks with you. Of course Job is righteous. He walks in unbelievable privilege. Job is a man that is blessed. He is wealthy beyond wealth. His kids love each other. They're not like smacking each other and running. His, he, he is respected wherever he goes. But I promise you, if you turn all of that upside down, if you let me get at Job, he will curse you, God. He will deny you. He will drift away from you. And so we know how it goes. God says, okay, I'm going to release you into his life, but you will not kill him because God is always in control. And here's what happens. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting at the oldest brother's house, a messenger arrived at Job's home with this news. Job, your oxen were plowing with the donkeys feeding beside them when the Sabians raided us. They stole all the animals and killed all of the farmhands. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. The fire of God has fallen from heaven and burned up your sheep and all of the shepherds. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, a third messenger arrived with this news. Three bands of Chaldean raiders have stolen your camels and killed your servants. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking... Another messenger arrived with this news. Job, 
I don't know how to tell you this because I know how much you loved your children and I know how much they loved each other. They spent so much time with each other. They were having another get-together at the oldest brother's house in this storm. It just came out of nowhere. And Job had knocked down the house. And Job, none of your kids made it. So Job goes through this immense trauma and this immense grief I mean, it is a one, two, three, four shot combo. He can't catch his breath. And then he has this response. We know it. We've heard it. He says, he stood up. He tore his robe in grief. He shaved his head. He fell to the ground in worship. And he said, I came naked from my mother's womb. Fact. I will be naked when I leave. Fact. The Lord gave me what I had. Fact. And the Lord has taken it away. Fact. Praise the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. By blaming God. Job doesn't accuse God here. All right. Did you know that you can have a knowledge of something without ever experiencing it? Of course, this is possible. This debate has been settled. You can know if a restaurant is good or not before you go to it. You can know if a movie stinks or not because you're just looking at Rotten Tomatoes and seeing how it's doing, right? You can have a knowledge that something is good. This is called secondhand knowledge. This is getting secondhand information about something. But having firsthand information is experiencing it for yourself. Now, normally having a knowledge of something without ever experiencing it really isn't that big of a deal, family. It's not that big of a deal when we're talking about food. It's not that big of a deal when we're talking about movies. All right, I'll try it when I try it, and we'll see if it's good or not. But we aren't talking about food, and we are not talking about movies here this morning. We're talking about our response to God in uncertain times. And in that arena, a secondhand knowledge of God is not going to be enough to sustain your faith. Your knowledge of God has got to carry you into experiences and encounters with God. Again, it's great to have information, but are you getting the confirmation your soul needs? I want to take a look at another response found in God's word from another individual who is going through traumatic and uncertain times by the name of David. This response can be found in Psalm 34. And as I am reading this response to God in uncertain times, I want you to think about Job's primary response to God. And I want you to do a little comparison to the responses in your head. This is a moment in time in history when David is being hunted down like a dog. He is hiding in a cave. He had just finished acting like a madman in front of a Philistine king. This is a man who walked in honor. This is a man who walked with high amounts of reputation. And he had to just drool down his beard, acting like a madman to spare his own life. He's being treated like an absolute dog. And his men are in a cave with him. And they're like, David, what is even going on here? What are we even doing in this place right now? How are, we, how are we even in this situation that we're in right now? And this is what David said to his men later penned in the Psalms in chapter 34. It says this, I will praise the Lord at all times. I will constantly speak his praises. I will boast only in the Lord. Let all who are helpless take heart. Come, let us tell of the Lord's greatness and let us exalt his name together. Here's where it gets really interesting. Watch this. I prayed to the Lord and he answered me. He freed me from all of my fears. Experience. 
Those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. Knowledge, fact. In my desperation, I prayed and the Lord listened. He saved me from all of my troubles. Experience. For the angel of the Lord is a guard. He surrounds and defends all of those who fear him. Fact, promise, knowledge. And then he finishes with something we've all heard before. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Okay. Again, David isn't like, David didn't just hit the lotto here. Like, like David's not doing good. He's going through a very traumatic experience. David went from a palace to a cave, from thriving to hiding, from royal treatment to dirt and dust, from being sung about, about being a hero to having to act like he was insane and letting drool run down his beard. Yet he remains certain in uncertain times because he can lean on a knowledge of God and his personal experiences with God. And he encourages us to do the same. All of this nonsense is happening to my life. And David does not say, you should know that the Lord is good. He says, taste and see that he is good. Tim Keller would say this, to stand in the presence of God, that's what the gospel is. The gospel is not primarily about forgiveness. It's not primarily about good feelings. It's not primarily about power. All of those things are byproducts, good sparks of a larger fire. It's primarily about the presence of God. I agree. In uncertain times, we have to move beyond our knowledge of God and into experiences with God because your knowledge alone, students, cannot sustain your faith. I've just been doing this too long. I've just been doing this too long, President Hagen. It just wasn't enough to sustain Job either. And I want to be really careful here because Job is a hero of the faith. Job persevered in uncertain times. Job wrestled. But we have to be honest with some of the things that Job said. Again, when David is in uncertain times, he taps into a knowledge of God and he stays anchored in his experience. But when Job is in uncertain times, all he has to tap into is this knowledge that has been handed down through oral tradition. And as you continue to read through the book of Job, you notice a drift. In Job chapter 9, Job says this, God attacks me without cause. God isn't letting me catch my breath. God laughs at the death of the innocent. Job's words. Job 16, God hates me and he tears me apart. God is gnashing his teeth at me like he's a bully. Job's words. Job 27, God has embittered my soul. Leonard Ravenhill warns, you can have all of your doctrines right yet still not have the presence of God. How are you doing? Like in the midst of everything that has happened in the last two years with COVID and with all of the upheaval, are you anchored or do you find yourself drifting, family? How have things been going since the last time God has moved powerfully in your life? These last two years, the way that we did church has shifted you were going from service to service when you were made to go from glory to glory. But when in-person services were taken away for a season, maybe some of you were exposed because that's the only place you knew how to run to an altar. Like, I, I didn't like a lot about the shutdowns, but there is one thing that I loved, and I think it was from the Holy Spirit. When the public altar was taken away, it showed the church the importance of the private altar again. Are you relying on a knowledge of God or are you making sure that you are having experiences and encounters in the presence of God? That's what I want to know. 
Okay. You know the thing that gets me about Job's response? In chapter 1, is that he goes through this immense pain. And he goes through this immense trauma. And then he just, he states the facts. He just references God. Now don't, listen, again, I am not taking anything from Job's first response. It took grit, it took faith, and it was a beautiful statement. Okay? But it's just knowledge. And to me, there's just a disconnect there. Here's what I mean. I have three children. One of them's with me today, visiting North Central, doing a campus visit, because he wants to come here, do the business program. I remember when my youngest son, though, his name is Corbin, he was playing in southern Illinois where we live now, and there's no city, there's nothing, there's nothing. And, uh, but there's ground bees, right? I don't know if you have them in Minnesota because the ground never thaws here, but in southern Illinois where the ground thaws, we have these ground bees, and it's like these bees, they make, they make nests in the ground, and like you, you, you can't mow your lawn without getting stabbed by these things, right? Like they just come out and gut you, right? They're, they're going to get you. And so my son Corbin was playing soccer on the side of the house, and he messed with a ground beehive, and they came up, and he got stung like seven or eight times. And those suckers hurt, man. That ain't fun. I'm a full-grown man. Those things hit me, and I'm like, ah! Run to the house in the name of Jesus. Here's what Corbin did not do in this, in this moment. Corbin didn't sit there and wonder why it was happening. Corbin didn't pine on the injustice of bees. He didn't start spouting facts about how I, his father, have the wisdom to pull out the stingers and have the resources to give him calamine lotion. Blessed be the name of my dad. Church, Corbin didn't reference me. He ran to me. Listen, some of you have been through some immense trauma, and I get that. A lot of us have. My wife and I, my wife should be dead because of her ACE score and her trauma in her life. She should be dead. She should be a, she should be a statistic. We can swap some scar stories, and I'm not going to give glory to any of that. My family was far from perfect, and it caused trauma and bitterness and anger in my own life. Do you know what healed me? It wasn't an acquisition of more knowledge, although it can help. It wasn't preaching, although that can help. The thing that healed me was presence. The presence of God. Hebrews chapter 6 says, run to God and you take refuge in Him. And God will give you this hope that is an anchor to your soul. Job was experiencing drift. But you want to know the thing about anchors is that the current still exists, but it loses its authority to make you drift. And God's word says that there is only one place to find an anchor for your soul. One place, one name, one father that we run to, and it's Jesus. For 37 chapters, Job is going to drift. And he's going to ask why, and he's going to obsess with getting answers. I'm going to run this as fast as I can. Then in Job 38, some of the most powerful and most poetic and some of the most beautiful chapters in all of Scripture. God is going to appear to Job. And what God says to Job in chapter 38 is really fascinating to me because Job is a man who has acquired all of this knowledge and his response comes from his acquisition of knowledge. Yet when God confronts Job, God says this. He appears out of a whirlwind. And what does he say to Job? 
He says, who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? I want you to brace yourself like a man because I am going to question you and you are going to answer me. Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know. Job, where were you when I was hanging stars in the sky when angels were just praising my name? Job, where were you when I told the oceans they could come this far but no further? Have any of you stood in front of the ocean and said, hold up? None of you. Job, where were you when I raised the mountains out of the firmament like sentinels to watch over you? Job, where were you when I set the feeding patterns of the locusts? Job, where were you when I taught a mother bear how to defend her cubs? Job, where were you when I taught a goat how to climb a rock? Tell me if you know. And you want to know what's really fascinating to me is that if you look through Job 38 all the way through 41, God is stacking Knowledge and presence. Were you there? Presence. Tell me if you know knowledge. Were you there? Presence. Tell me if you know knowledge. I think God is trying to tell Job that you can have all the knowledge of God that you want, but if it is not with my presence, it is incomplete. Job is going to ask why for 37 chapters, and God is going to show up, and he's not going to answer a single question. He doesn't answer a single one of Job's questions because God had something better than a why. God had a who. Sometimes you are asking why in your life when you are going through this trauma and I am telling you that what you need to be pursuing is the who. Okay, God is going to show Job his power, I create. God is going to show Job his sovereignty, I control. God is going to show Job his majesty, I direct. God is going to show Job his character, I see the large and I see the small. And Job, I see you. Some of us might think this response from God in the midst of Job's trauma is harsh, but I am telling you it is peppered with grace. God takes Job on a tour of the universe to remind him that he sees him and that he's in control. And that he's eternal. Mm. And then everything shifts. Worship team, come on up. Michael, Skyler, anybody, somebody, everyone. <laughs> Calling all angels. All right. In Job 42, we're going to take a look at Job's second reply. And why do we need to pay attention to Job's second reply? Because this is, this is the reply that comes after he had an experience. This is, this, is, <laughs> this is the reply that comes after he's been in the presence of the Lord. And, and listen to how it's different from his first reply. I'm just going to read Job chapter 42. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything and that no one can stop you. Who asked it? You asked who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? And it was me. So Job is acknowledging and humbling himself by saying that his knowledge wasn't enough. God, I was talking about things I knew nothing about. Things far too wonderful for me. This word wonderful is an expression of worship. You said, listen, and I will speak. I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. I'd only heard about you before. 
Job says, I only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. I've experienced your presence. I take back everything I said, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. Four quick things I want you to see, and these are going to be our responses today. Number one, the first thing I want you to see in Job's response, in contrast, in Job's second response, in contrast to his first response, is this Job was talking about God. Job wasn't talking about God. Now Job was talking to God. In the first response, he was just talking about God. In his second response, he is now talking to God. Church, I know that we hear a lot about God. Sundays, Wednesdays, life groups, Sunday evenings, podcasts, Bible app, floor meetings, this meeting, that meeting. When is the last time you have spoken to God instead of talking about Him? As pastors, we need to spend more time talking to God than we ever spend talking about God. When is the last time you just sat in His presence totally abandoned to Him? On your own accord. Not in front of a crowd. I'm not saying it's wrong to do it in front of a crowd. Man, just get that out of your head. If you want to sit in the presence of the Lord, I don't care if you're in front of 500 people or you're by yourself. You get with Jesus. In these last two years, have you experienced devotion or drift? You can have a knowledge of God, but have you tasted and seen that He is good recently? Number two, Job worshipped in spite of his circumstances. We all know how the book of Job ends, that he's fully restored. But here, Job is worshipping in the midst of dire circumstances still. You do understand that in the moment of this second response, that Job's children are still dead. His body is still decimated. He is still in poverty. He is still getting spit in front of because nobody respects him anymore. He is still powerless. His legacy is still evaporated. But God, you're too wonderful for me to understand. The goodness of God does not depend on your circumstances in this temporary world. God has given you eternity. And if that was all He has given you, it would be more than enough. But He gives you His presence. He gives you His love. He gives you His unfailing devotion. He showers love and worship upon you. The Bible says that He dances over you. Even in the midst of your hurt, and even in the midst of your pain, and even in the midst of your trauma, students, God is wonderful. Number three, Job repented. For what? I thought he was blameless. I thought that the way that he responded to God in chapter 1 found no sin, found no fault in him. Job says, I repent for the things I said. He's repenting for the drift that took place in his life. I'm sorry for the things that I said. Yeah, I, I, I have all of this knowledge of you, but because I had this knowledge of you, I felt comfortable to drift when it didn't line up with my understanding of my surroundings. Well, God doesn't fit into your understanding of your surroundings sometimes. 
Spiritual maturity isn't saying, God, I'm going to compare you to culture, and if it doesn't line up, I'm going to have a problem with you. Spiritual maturity is looking at God's word and seeing the characteristics of God and saying, God, when culture doesn't make sense, I'm going to trust you. Okay. Finally, Job responds before he is restored. Is this even important? Yes, massively. Because Job is going to find his blessing in the presence of the Father, not in the restoration of his possessions. I don't know if it's ever going to get back to normal. I don't ever know if the wound will fully heal. I can tell you that I still see a counselor from time to time. I can tell you that I still deal with damage. I can tell you that I am not living a perfect life all of the time or ever. I'm fighting, I'm trying, I'm scraping. I love the Lord. But you need to understand, Christian, that the blessings aren't just coming in the form of the restoration of your possessions. The blessing is God's presence. When when the Old Testament prophet said, blessed are you or woe to you, it wasn't about possessions or stature. It was about do you have God's presence or don't you? Okay, how was Job able to do it? Like even in the pain and in the trauma, he had the presence of God. And family, just like God revealed himself to Job, God revealed himself to us in the form of Jesus who took on the suffering that we did deserve. The work of the Holy Spirit at salvation is regeneration, but the filling of the Holy Spirit is subsequent. Emmanuel, God with us, he wants to fill some of you with the Holy Spirit. He wants to heal some of you. He wants to bless you with his presence. Can you stand up wherever you're at in this place? Some of you might want to start coming down to the altar right now and getting on your knees and saying, God, I want to get in your presence right now. I ain't even done waiting for this brother to finish preaching. I just want more and more of you. So what are your responses this morning? Number one, do you need to start talking to God instead of about God? If you're in here and you've been acquiring more knowledge than spending time in the presence of God, can you please come up to this altar and make it right? Response number two, are you going through difficult circumstances in your life? Are you going through trauma? Are you going through hurt? Are you trying to overcome neglect in your life? Are you trying to overcome pain, whether it be societal or personal? If you're in this place and you need to worship in spite of your circumstances, I'm inviting you up to the altar right now. If you are in this place and you need to repent for the things that you have said, I'm inviting you to come up to the altar right now and just start saying, God, I'm sorry. I love you, Jesus. I am sorry for the things that I have thought about you that are out of will, out of character for your will. And number four, do you need to start responding to God before you're restored to your place? Maybe you're going through discipline. Maybe you're going through a season where things are dry and you need to wait upon the Lord. I'm going to ask you to come up to the altar right now Every single one of you, no matter how you respond, this is about seeking His face. I'm going to turn it over to the worship team. And then somebody's going to take it from the worship team and tell you where to go next. I apologize for going a couple minutes over, two minutes. But I was told that it's Wednesday and y'all have a little bit of time to linger. Okay? So get up here and linger. Whether you're up front or you're in back, can you linger in this place today?
I'm going to pray over you, and then I'm going to turn it over to Skylar and the worship team. Oh, Father, right now in the name of the Holy Spirit, we pray for your presence to be felt. We know that you are here. God, you need no invitation. You are preeminent. Everything that we are doing right now is a response to you. Oh God, in this place right now, I pray that you would saturate these students with your healing, with your loving, with your, with your presence, God. May we have an awe and a reverence and a respect that leads to greater wisdom and knowledge and stature. Father God, in this place, I pray over each and every single student that they would just feel the presence of God. That they would not go anywhere unless you are with them, oh God. Jesus, I pray in your strong name, would you just move in the hearts and in the lives of these students. In your name we pray, Jesus. In your name we pray. Let's worship him together for a little longer. Amen. Oh, we worship.